Hello and welcome to another edition of The Confession Box. We're joined by Michael Kelly, ninth episode. Now, hard to believe, we're just marking on it there. Hard to believe, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. doesn't time fly? It does indeed. Um, there's a bit of poignancy to this. Uh, we're going to begin today with some deeply disappointing and sombre news. Well, personally for me anyway, because I really am going to miss you around the place. And that's the shock announcement that you made on Tuesday evening, notifying the world that you would be stepping down as editor of the Irish Catholic after 11 years to pursue other projects. Well, even I'm not so self-important to think that uh, the world took much notice of it. But yes. We did, Michael. <laughs> I can attest. <laughs> You're very kind. Yeah, Tuesday evening I've decided that uh, it's time to, time to go as editor of the Irish Catholic. I've worked here for 18 years, almost 12 of those as editor of the paper. And uh, you know what? It seems to me that sometimes uh, a desk in Dublin can be a very dangerous place for journalists from which to view the world so uh, I've decided that it's uh, it's time to move on it's time to uh, hand the mantle to someone else I feel that uh, I've, I've given a lot to the Irish Catholic and the Irish Catholic has given a lot to me and I've been very very touched by by the outpouring of emotion since I, I made the announcement I feel privileged to have had uh, some brief involvement in this very noble 135 year old lady of a paper um, I speak for everyone here, Michael, in saying that you'll be enormously missed and mourned from January on in this office. Um, we'll, of course, return to this topic in more detail later on in the episode, but testament to yourself amid the constant well wishes, well wishes and messages of goodwill um, you've received since the announcement, you've ma- you still managed to produce a paper. Amazing. Absolutely. Look, come on, that's the number one job. You have one job as an editor and it's to get the paper out week in, week out. And, you know, I think we can all say in the Irish Catholic and our proud history, there's only one occasion in which the paper didn't appear. And that was during the uh, the disturbances in Dublin during the 1916 Easter Rising, in which which actually uh, the janitor of the Irish Catholic was actually killed in the in the crossfire as well. But that was the one and only time that the uh, the paper didn't come out. And uh, I, I'm proud to, uh, to 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 finish up and say that uh, uh, nothing uh, nothing of that magnitude ever went wrong on my watch. People tend to forget, though, almost the history of the paper is interwoven into the state's history. It's, there's such a rich and beautiful connection there. Um, but that's exactly what we're going to dissect right now is this week's edition of the Irish Catholic. So sticking with tradition and starting with the front page here, here. Um, it's the major story of last week, uh, the death of Shane McGowan, of course. Um, there's an added poignancy given the time of year in which he died and his association with arguably the most recognisable Christmas song on the island. Um, Shane McGowan, Michael, um, an, an Irish icon, a rebel and an unconventional Catholic, according to this week's edition of the Irish Catholic. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's desperately sad that, uh, that Shane has died uh, just at the young age nowadays of uh, only 65 and uh, you know Shane was one of those guys uh, I heard someone refer to him during the week as a lovable rogue what was wonderful about Shane was he uh, he had his demons uh, he didn't hide from those demons and in fact he wore his demons on his sleeve and you know the more we saw of his demons the more we saw of his difficulties uh, the more we loved him because of his uh, vulnerability here was a man whose life was uh, you know really deeply affected by the uh, the slow crucifixion of uh, addiction uh, but he, ne- he never lost his affection for people he never lost his affection for Ireland and we never lost our affection for him I mean uh, the term national treasure is overused a lot but really and truthfully Shane McGowan was that national treasure and look I mean at least up until recently it was impossible to think of Ireland apart from Catholicism and Shane really embodied that Shane was an unconventional Catholic for sure as he said himself he didn't always make it to mass every 
week, but he had a very, very profound prayer life. Prayer was something that was hugely important to him. And of course, we know that his wife, uh, Victoria, she made the point that shortly before she and died, he received the last sacraments of the church. He received the apostolic pardon. He received the viaticum, the food for the journey for his, uh, his last journey back to the Father. So that was something that was very important to him. And I think it's poignant that Shane's being buried on uh, December 8th, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, because of course, Shane had a deep devotion to uh, to Mary, a deep devotion to the Mother of God. And what can be more Catholic uh, than somebody like uh, like Shane McGowan, uh, proudly professing their uh, their Catholic faith? Because sometimes we can be very, uh, we can be very stingy about God. We can be very stingy about God's love and God's mercy. But we know God is never stingy. And, you know, in uh, in God's big house, there's, there's room for everyone. And Shane profoundly knew that. Yeah. Um, just researching him myself because he was a mystery to me. And I think we're all we're all used used to and familiar with, you know, the reputation of him maybe being hard drinking, hard living or whatever. But I didn't know this. He was allegedly considering a vocation to the priesthood during his adolescence. I've only found that out recently, which is something indicative of a deeply spiritual man. If he was contemplating, contemplating, sorry, such a question at a formative age. Um, in my opinion, he was turned into a figure of levity. And jokes were made at his expense because of his dependency on alcohol, which he took with humor and grace. But lest we forget that this was an incredibly intelligent man, a man who was very ably reading Dostoevsky at 11 and whose literary gifts saw him awarded a scholarship to a prestigious private school in London. Um, Perhaps we were dealing with a misunderstood genius in his realm, Michael, whose constant creativity ensured that he was never given the interior piece that he so sorely wanted. Oh, he was a genius, no question about that. A literary genius. And uh, he gave expression uh, because, of course, you know, we, we, we took him to, to his heart. But he, of course, he was born in, born in England, uh, obviously, uh, to Irish parents. But I think if you look at his lyrics, if you look at his songs, he very much captured the Irish emigrant experience and uh, the, the giftedness that was there just in terms terms of his his ability to uh to write these wonderful songs and of course you know one of the songs he's most remembered for of course is the fairy tale of new york but uh of course he wrote that for a bet because uh someone bet him that i don't think you'd be able to write a christmas song and he did write a christmas song and it has become iconic and uh certainly in these islands uh the most played on radio station song around this time of year yeah um moving now to your editorial it's uh i found it to be something that was also contemplative there um, in its content and in its message. But Michael, the best part about you writing an editorial for 11 years is that we're all fully aware of your grievances and peeves now. So let's settle this. Does saying happy Christmas to you at this time of year great you? Well, at, yes, this, at this time of not, month? Yes, because it's not Christmas. Okay, okay. Um, so, well, explain to me and elaborate on why patience is a key virtue at this time of year then and how faith can inspire it because this, this was a message that was emphasised in, in your editorial for sure you see it seems to me that uh, all around me in uh, Dublin everyone has been celebrating Christmas uh, from the 1st of November and this is something that I see every year like I have neighbours of mine in Dublin and you know they're they're really good people and wonderful neighbours uh, but they have their Christmas decorations up the moment that Halloween is over and then you know what they're taking the Christmas decorations down on uh, December 26th because they're absolutely sick to death of Christmas because they have drawn it out for so long and I think there's this huge commercial pressure nowadays as soon as Halloween is over the stores are filled with Christmas decorations they're filled with selection boxes they're filled with all of this extra stuff that you're supposed to consume for Christmas that puts a huge pressure on people because what is the essence of Christmas the essence of Christmas is celebrating the incarnation celebrating the coming of the Christ child in uh, Bethlehem in the midst of our family and of course celebrating is part of that 
feasting is part of that drinking prosecco is part of that and they're all legitimate parts of it but to my mind there's a difficulty now because we live in a culture where delayed gratification is not a thing so we're having christmas parties at the beginning of november because we can't actually wait until christmas and what i'm trying to say i suppose in the editorial this week that waiting has become a lost art and in fact the church presents to us an entire season to it the entire season of advent is about waiting for the coming of christ not not in any silly way whereby you know we're pretending that jesus is coming again you know or somehow we're pretending to uh, exist 2000 years ago before the coming of christ christ is already with us christ is already in the midst of the world but i suppose what i'm inviting in some small way in the editorial is for readers to uh, ask themselves what part of their lives what part of their families what part of their hearts what part of their spiritual journey have they not invited the lord into yet and invite the lord into that invite the lord to touch perhaps darkness that we're not willing to share with other people things that we're embarrassed about things that we're annoyed about things that we're upset about and invite jesus to come in and and touch those things and heal those things in order to make us ready to celebrate uh worthily and joyfully christmas so essentially to be more candid open and revealing to to your faith and and, and to Jesus essentially absolutely and you know not allow oneself to be overtaken by the consumerist pressure that's all around us at uh, at Christmas time because you know Christmas can be a difficult time of year for people Christmas can be a lonely time of year for people people who have people who have lost loved ones people who've lost their equilibrium people who are uh, without income and perhaps feel that here's everyone else full of Christmas cheer but I, I'm I'm feeling miserable so Christmas can be a difficult time of year for people and and uh, I think that's why it's important not really to be overtaken by all the consumers. Mm, mm, no, very valid, very valid. I don't think that there'll be a lot of disagreement there. Well, from sensible people like ourselves, Michael, maybe. Um, moving now to the unofficial baby of the Labour Party. Um, no, it's not the alleviation of poverty. No, it's not tackling our chronic so- shortage of houses either. Confronting the cost of living, wide of the mark again. So what exactly has Ivana Bakchik been rallying for over the last few months, Michael? And what are its implications, according to our page for peace? Yes, well, I mean, if the leader of the Labour Party, uh, Deputy Batchik, is to be believed, uh, the entire country is convulsed mm. with uh, redefining the family and the constitution to ensure that it's n- not just built on marriage, but it's built on a durable relationship, okay. whatever a durable relationship is. And this is something that has, has greatly exercised the leader of the Labour Party and uh, Mrs. Bat- Batchik, as I say. And uh, I mean, evidently, she thinks that voters are consumed by a constitutional change uh, the opinion polls I think would probably uh, find that that's not the case given that um, the Labour Party is stubbornly sitting around 3 or 4% in the opinion polls and this is despite the fact that when Alan Kelly was ousted as leader and Ivana Bacic took over a lot of the uh, Labour supporting uh, columnists in papers they said that this would represent a Bacic bounce well the Bacic bounce never really happened but to the major point of what you're saying is the government now has, has taken on this proposal and they're proposing holding uh, next year on International Women's Day of all days uh, two, uh, two votes to amend the Constitution. The first being, as I say, that they will say that um, 
the family is not only founded on marriage, but also founded on uh, a durable relationship. Now, I mean, if I was a constitutional lawyer, I would be chomping at the bit to see how the Supreme Court would interpret a phrase like durable relationship. And I mean, this is where social media comes into its own. I saw a, I saw a wag on uh, on Twitter or X, as it's called now, the other night saying that he's been getting his hair cut by the same barber for 24 years. Does that represent a durable relationship? I saw someone else saying they have a childhood friend of 15 years uh, is that a durable relationship so that's one aspect of the constitutional change the other aspect of the constitution that they're proposing to change is this so-called women in the home clause which is an extremely misunderstood clause because if you ask the average punter on that they will say to you some variation of the constitution says that women should stay at home that women shouldn't be in the workforce whereas actually what the constitution says and this was intensely progressive for the time in 1937 and this actually is one of the things that is forgotten about the Irish constitution just how progressive it was for the time and one small uh, reference of that is for example how the constitution talks about the Jewish people and the importance of the Jewish people in Irish history look what was happening to Jewish people all across the rest of Europe in 1937 but back to the major point and this is where the constitution is progressive it says that by virtue of the importance Uh, the important role that women play in nurturing the home they should not by economic necessity be forced to go to work that didn't in any way say that they shouldn't be allowed to go to work or they should be discouraged from going to work but what it said was and this is a noble goal to me that a family should be able to live on one income now nobody believes that in Ireland nowadays because it's simply not possible and a series of uh, government policies down the decades including something like tax individualization which removed married couple benefits in terms of taxation has been really to try to force people out of the home uh, to try to force every Everyone to being economic units really outworking in the uh, in, in, in the economy contributing to the economy and that's why we see such a focus now on childcare and subsidized childcare and paid for childcare when actually survey after survey shows that most mothers if given the choice would rather look after their own children rather rather than putting them into daycare or sending them to creches or them going to uh, childminders but that's not something that uh, the government seems willing to address because they seem ideologically hell-bent on uh, on changing this to uh, to such an extent whereby everyone is seen simply as just a worker bee for the economy the work that people do at home uh, and not always women but uh, predominantly women is not recognized adequately by the government yeah yeah so so you're you're in confirmation there that the battery bounce hasn't bounced your way yet no it no. hasn't bounced my way yet no but i i suspect probably the labor party strategists are probably not targeting voters like me when they're thinking of uh, where they're going to be after the next election yeah. but i mean the opinion polls are somber reading for them i mean the most recent poll at the weekend predicted that after the election the labor party will be left with uh, with one seat and i would hazard a guess that it won't be deputy bad chicks oh oh well fundamental philosophy michael substantive over superficial amen stick by it um we're going to conclude here with uh just a, a few moments of of discussion and reflection uh, on your time your legacy the legacy you're leaving the wonderfully rich he- legacy you're leaving behind in the irish catholic newspaper now correct me if i'm wrong you've been here for 18 years i think 18 uh, years in, in in a journalistic capacity uh 11 of those as editor um now it's coming to an end very sadly your moments michael in in the irish catholic uh, as you rem- as you reminisce now what, what were your most memorable moments here and what were the most fulfilling memories you have 
Well, no man can be a judge in his own case. So perhaps I won't talk so much about myself. Perhaps more I'll talk about the times that I've lived in as editor of the Irish Catholic. I would say they've been times of profound highs, wonderful highs, great opportunities, great moments, uh, but also also deep lows. Um, I think that's been the story of Irish Catholicism over the years that I've been here. There have been times of um, stormy waters and headwinds. There have been times, if I can use the biblical analogy, when it has seemed that uh, the Lord has been asleep, that the Lord has abandoned his church. But of course, our faith reveals to us and we know that that's not the case. Um, Most difficult times, Brandon, most troubling times uh, have been reporting on the the clerical abuse scandals. Um, I suppose that is more and more revealed to me as um, I my my wider family uh, widens and I have more and more uh, nephews and nieces. I, I, I haven't been blessed with children uh, myself, but I, I love my nephews and nieces very much. And uh, when one sees, for the example, the Murphy Report, uh, one can go through the Murphy Report into the abuse in the Archdiocese of Dublin. And in every single case in that, you can see a moment in the paper trail where here's the moment where if good people had stood up and said no, that this has to stop, that this person has to be reported to the authorities, then all the all the lives that were destroyed below that that uh, that 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 wouldn't have happened. So that's very much been a low, a high point in all of that. Though I have to say, has been and uh, one of the things I've liked to do as editor of the Irish Catholic is I like to get out of the office. I like to get uh, go and meet people. I like to go to places. I like to go to parishes, and people are kind enough to invite me to speak at parish events. And you know, everywhere I go around Ireland, I see an army of volunteers committed to ensuring that child safeguarding is a key aspect of the life of every part of the church. The other thing that is so humbling to me is I meet people in this country who have tremendous faith. These are people who very often have undergone immense suffering, people who have a terrible suffering in their own lives, who've uh, had terrible bereavement, who've had terrible sickness, who've, who've lost their equilibrium, all kinds of things like that. And yet they are people of profound faith and more than just people of profound faith. They're people of joy because we all know in our lives uh, people who have suffered and uh, they wear every inch of that suffering. Um, but. We also then know people who have suffered so much and actually what they exude is a deep joy and they exude that deep joy because they know at a deep level that uh, very much God is in command, that God has us on his radar screen. We see in the we see in the gospel, you know, that every hair on our heads has been counted that, uh, you know, God doesn't neglect any of us. So when I say there have been times in the paper when it has seemed like the the Lord has been asleep, when it has seemed that uh, things have almost seemed uh, abandoned then uh, that is a call for us I suppose to to come closer and to depend even more on God and if I can speak of the history of the Israelites the history of ancient Israel is a history of being stripped of everything that gave them meaning only to find God in a more profound fashion and ultimately to find God in the person of Jesus Christ in the Messiah and you know who is with us uh, perpetually to the end of time in the uh, in, in 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 the Eucharist so there're just some thoughts on how it has been as editor I have always um 
I've always known that the again from the history of the Bible from salvation history that the promised land is never behind us the promised land is always in front of us so that's why it's always time to move forward and it's time now for me to move forward the easiest thing in the world is to rest comfortable is to sit back and is to you know do what you can do and know that you can do it well and know that you can kind of do it relatively easy uh it's much more difficult to step out into the desert it's much more difficult to step out into a new journey of discovery, of self-discovery, but of uh, discovery of the world as well and uh, discovery of what lies ahead. So I leave I leave the paper with uh, certainly with a heavy heart. Um, I, I carry all the experiences of the paper in my heart. Uh, I carry all the people. I mean, I have been blessed to have worked with so many wonderful people over the last 18 years. Some of them still among us, people like yourself, Brandon, who it's been an absolute Is he, is he pointing at you, Bar? <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> for you, me Michael. to work with. You. And, you know, one of the humbling parts of my job is when I go as at World Youth Day recently in, um, in Lisbon and to meet there so many former interns from the Irish Catholic who are now doing so well for themselves in jobs elsewhere. I mean, there's a former intern from the Irish Catholic who's now producing the 10 o'clock news on ITV and I see his name flashing up in the credits uh, every night and I take pride in that and I take pride in being involved in his formation in uh, in some small way so really my heart is heavy as I leave but it's heavy with uh, it's heavy with gratitude and uh, above all uh, I really really want to thank all of the readers who faithfully faithfully put their trust uh, in me and put their trust in the paper and I hope that I repaid that trust uh, I remember when I became editor a, a, a veteran journalist and veteran columnist who is uh, thankfully still with us uh, she said to me Michael the most important thing you need to remember as editor is that every reader is a paying customer and I've been very very grateful for the faith that people have put in me and put in the paper and uh, I hope that I've never taken it for granted no you haven't um, you've been an immeasurable influence here not only um, in from a personal capacity in my life but to Catholic journalism in Ireland in general you are a titan an absolute bulwark of Catholic journalism Michael and it's really sorrowful. It's really re regrettable that you have to go. I speak in a personal capacity. You saw a man from Navan and, and you fraternized with a man from Navan. That's, you know, and I knew you were very inclusive when I when I realized that. But um, first time uh, we, 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 we uh, you interviewed me for, for a role as, as intern. Uh, very raw, uh, very, very wayward, uh, but precocious. And, and as you remarked, uh, passion, possibly more passion than guile. But um, you've, you've, you've mentored me um, uh, throughout the last two years and you've been such an influential figure in my life, um, not to be forgotten about. I know there are um, remarks, there are quips, there are quotes that I'll take to my grave. And we've, we've, we've developed an indelible uh, relationship and, and we'll continue it. But so, it's very sorrowful that the, the readers of the Irish Catholic obviously won't get to, to hear your insights every week because um, they're, they're very valuable. And you're a shrewd cultural commentator as well. Well, you never know. I'm not entirely exiting oh, the stage. Oh. So, uh, what, Future watch, projects. What, watch, the, watch this space, I would say. Watch this space. I'm going to be spending time working on uh, some projects that have meant a lot to me yeah. for, for, for a long time. And uh, I'm, not, um, I'm, 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 not, I'm not disappearing, uh, as it were. I'll, um, I'll, be, I'll be around from time to time. And I'm not just trying to make a mystery of myself in saying that. But, uh, <laughs> bit of this, bit of that. Yeah. Bit of this, bit of that. Absolutely. No, honestly, and, you know, th th thank, you for your, mm. thank you for your wonderful words. I, you know, the lesson I've learned in life, I'm... Uh, 
44 years of age. I still consider myself a relatively young man, though I do have the awful experience every now and then uh, in the morning time of looking in my bathroom mirror and being startled for a second at the elderly man who's standing beside me and then realizing, oh, no, that's you, old boy. But the uh, the lesson I will take from life is that you always, always learn, always learn and particularly learn from new people and learn from younger people. And uh, we've been blessed here to have, as I say, so many interns, so many young people come and go. And uh, I've learned something from uh, so learned something from all of them. And uh, I mean, it's been a great exposure to me to uh, to youth culture as well. I mean, where else would I learn phrases like uh, Riz? Is that uh, Riz? What it is? It's it's word of the year, I think, isn't it? It's word surged, of the year. surged in popularity there. And I think you're a man of, of uh, considerable Riz. Well, I've got the Riz. Yeah, in my day, they used to just call it a bit of charisma. But uh, I, I know young, younger people like shorter words. So uh, let's just say, you know, if you think I have the Riz, I will take the compliment <laughs> and run with it. Thank you so much, Michael Kelly. And thank you for your years of unfaltering service. Thank you I'll so much. I'll just say what they say at the end of the old show band dances. Good night, God bless and safe home.